Good morning. There we go. How are y'all this morning? Okay, good morning. All right, that's better. Well, my name is Dave Shive, and I'm one of the pastors here at TBA Church, and we're so glad that you are here with us this morning. Have you ever wished that you had a second chance at something? Maybe you said something or did something that you wish you could take back. If you're like me, there are probably many times in your life that you wish you could have a second chance at getting it right. Um, Well, before we start, I want to tell you this story. I have to tell you this story. Um, About a few weeks, about three or four weeks ago, um, myself and Don and Brian Legg and Brian Stiverson, we were all in a car, and uh, we were driving up to Camp Gilead to check out the camp for the men's retreat. Um, And we're on Polk County Parkway, and there's a section of Polk County Parkway right at the end before you get to I-4 that goes from a speed limit of 65 miles, no, yeah, 65 miles an hour down to 55 miles an hour. Do you know that stretch I'm talking about? It goes from four lanes down to two lanes and hits you really fast and you're not really paying attention. So if you're like me and we're all in the car talking and everybody's laughing and having a good time and you don't really pay attention until the state trooper passes you the other way and as soon as he passes you, immediately you look down and you're going 75. So that's what happened to me. I was going down that stretch of the highway, and I'm going 75 into 55, and the state trooper passes me, and I don't even have to look in the rearview mirror. I know that he's coming around. His lights come on. He turns around. So I just pull off to the side of the road because I know that I'm caught. So the guy comes up, the trooper comes up, and he comes up on the passenger side, and I'm getting my driver's license and registration ready to give to him, and he comes to the driver's side window, and Don rolls the window down, and I pass my driver's license and registration over to Don. And Don looks at my driver's license and kind of laughs a little bit. And then he pans, hands it to the state trooper. Now, all the guys have seen my driver's license before. And so they know what it looks like. <clears throat> so I did that on purpose. I did that picture on purpose when I got, my, when I got it taken. So the state trooper is looking at my license. And he's trying to be as serious as he can. And he just starts shaking his head. And then he just starts laughing. He can't stop laughing. And as soon as he starts laughing, all the other three guys just start laughing so hard, they're about to pee their pants. And I'm just sitting there with my head down, knowing I'm going to get a $300 ticket. So anyways, he takes my stuff, and he goes back to the car. And he comes back about five minutes later, and he says trying to be serious, but he's still laughing. He can't stop laughing. He says, I'm trying to be serious. He goes, but I I just can't be serious enough to give you a ticket. So I'm going to give you a warning. And then he proceeds to take a picture of my license because (laughs) he says none of the guys back at the station are going to believe him. So needless to say, I was given a second chance at driving under the speed limit. So for the past few weeks, we've been talking about these different characteristics of God, that God is big, God is the God of love, God is jealous, God is a generous God. And we're trying to paint this picture of who God is and what God's about. So as we continue in that today, we're going to be talking about God being the God of second chances. And I think it would be more accurately to actually say that God is the God of almost infinite chances. Because throughout the Bible, there's example after example of God giving people second chances. Even at the very beginning with the fall of Adam and Eve, 
God was ready to give humanity a second chance. See, in Genesis 3, it tells the story of how Adam and Eve eat the fruit from the tree that they weren't even supposed to touch. They were forbidden to touch it. But instead of immediate death because of their rebellion, because that's what they deserved was immediate death, God creates a second chance. Look what it says in verse 15. And God's saying this to Satan. He says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. See, God is telling them that through Eve's offspring, Satan will be destroyed and that humanity will get a second chance at that perfect relationship with God through Jesus. See, oftentimes we look at God and we think God is this judgmental God that's standing back just waiting for us to mess up, waiting to punish us. But the truth is, is God has planned second chances all along. See, God is omniscient. And that's just a big word for meaning that God knows all things. And he knew even before he created Adam and Eve what was going to happen. He knew that we were going to fall, that humanity would blow it. And he knew that Jesus was going to have to die in order to establish that relationship, in order to have that relationship restored. But he went ahead and created us anyways. So the question for me is why? Why create us at all? If he knew, why do it? I know it's hard to understand, but it simply comes down to love. He just loves us that much. See, if you step back from the Bible and look at it as, as a whole, you see this amazing love story that unfolds. I mean, God from the very beginning begins to redeem and restore and set right what we made wrong. And all throughout the Bible, there's this picture of God being a patiently loving father, protecting us from harm disciplining us when we go wrong, forgiving us when we come back, and picking up the pieces of the mess that we've made, giving us chance after chance after chance to love them. See, God took Jacob, who was a constant liar, and he made him the cornerstone of a nation. He took Moses, who was a murderer, and he used him to lead the, the Israelites out of Egypt. He redeems David from the sin of his adultery and murder and calls him a man after his own heart. He takes the woman at the well who has been married and divorced five times and is now living with another man and uses her to spread salvation in Samaria. He takes Peter who denies Christ three times and restores him to lead the church in Jerusalem. And he takes Saul who is persecuting and killing Christians and he renames him Paul and uses him to spread the gospel to the Gentiles and eventually to us. See, all throughout the Bible and all of these stories is God's unending love and amazing grace and mercy that's poured out on us and that's shown perfectly through his son, Jesus Christ. John Ortberg wrote this. He said, Redeeming is what God is into. He is the finder of the directionally challenged sheep, the searcher of the missing coins, the embracer of the foolish prodigal children. His favorite department is lost and found. If there is only one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it's perhaps in his loving longingness to forgive. See, God is the God of second chances, the God of mercy. Mercy just means to extend help to the lowest or the most undeserving. It implies compassion that overshadows punishment or judgment that's due. A book in the Bible that I think demonstrates God's immense mercy and grace is the book of Jonah. And it's also, also referred to often as the book of second chances. 
Now, you probably know the story of Jonah the well, especially if you went to Sunday school as a kid. But don't be fooled. It's much more than just a kid's story. It's an amazing story of God's character and a picture of his immense love for all of us. Let's look at uh, Jonah chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can open up. Jonah's at the end of the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1. This is what it says. The Lord gave his message to Jonah and said, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against its people because I have seen how wicked they are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord, the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their guides for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all the time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him, and he said, How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. When the sailors heard this, they were terrified, for he had already told them he was running away from the God. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will be calm again. I know this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. See, I think one of the things that stick out to me about this story is that even though we try to run away from God and we abandon him, He never leaves or abandons us. He's always there pursuing us, trying to get our attention, doing whatever it takes to bring us back, even if that means he has to place storms in our lives. And even if those storms cause us pain, he's willing to do it. I mean, that's the picture of a father who loves his children. And sometimes I know that's hard to reconcile Hard to reconcile a God who loves us but still allows pain and suffering in our lives. And it's especially hard to reconcile when you're going through that storm and you're asking why. Why now, God? Why this? Why not another way? I've been there. Believe me, I know all of those questions. I know them well. And the best way that I can reconcile it is through the relationship that I have with my son, Alex. See, I didn't have a father growing up. My father abandoned me. I had little or no contact with him growing up. 
So I had no idea what a father's love was. And I believe that's why God put Alex in my life, to show me how much a father loves. Because I love my boy so much. So much that sometimes it just hurts. And I would do anything for him. I would willingly lay my life down for him. I love him that much. I love him so much that I want to give him everything. I want to protect him from all pain. I want him to have the best possible life that he can have. And through Alex, God has shown me that he loves me the same way, but infinitely more. He has shown me how a father wants to protect his children, to keep them from pain, to give them everything they want, but knowing that if he does, it may not be the best thing for them. Because as much as I love my son, I know that not everything in this world is good for him. And even though he doesn't understand, I have to deny him things to keep him on the right path. And I know that at times I have to discipline him, even though I hate doing it. I hate seeing him in pain. I hate seeing him suffer. Even when it's his own fault, I hate seeing him go through it. And I know that at times... I have to just leave him in the mess that he's made to sort things out on his own. Even though my instinct is to go in and pick him up and hug him and tell him it's going to be all right and put all the pieces back together for him. But I know if I do that, that he won't learn and he won't change and he'll just end up in the same place again. So I suffer with him and I weep with him and I worry with him and I allow him the pain in his life because I want what's good and right for him. And I believe God does the same for us. And even though we reject him and we walk away from him, he's always there waiting for us to come back, doing everything possible to bring us back to him, giving us that next chance, even if that chance is a big fish. Look at how Jonah responds in chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from, his, from inside the fish, and he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me, and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. And I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. And I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. See, attitude is everything. If there's one thing that my son will grow up knowing, he's going to know that attitude is everything, because I've probably said it to him a gazillion times. See, it's how we respond to things in our lives. It's how we approach it that greatly affects the outcome. Everything depends on how the storm is faced. See, God put this storm in Jonah's way because he's looking for a change in Jonah. He's looking for a change in his attitude, 
a change in his heart. The storm isn't there just to cause pain because God didn't want Jonah there in the first place. It was Jonah's choice to go in the opposite direction. And the storm isn't there just for punishment either. It's for repentance. It's to bring Jonah back to the heart of God. God is using all that Jonah is going through to help him build a deeper sense of trust, a deeper understanding of who God is. He's refining him. He's teaching him. He's showing him the path back. But that doesn't mean that's what always happens. Just because we're confronted with a storm in life doesn't mean that we come out on the other side in a healthier spiritual state. Because sadly, sometimes we go through storms and we're left bitter and angry and we're unwilling to take the path of brokenness back to God. Others sometimes go through the wildest of storms and they emerge triumphant and stronger in faith and more in love with God than ever. Everything depends on how the storm is faced. Jonah was convicted of his sins. That was the purpose of the storm in his life, to bring him to that place of conviction and confession, to a place of brokenness. That is the path back to God. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. See, I think everybody who finds their way to Jesus comes with the realization that they have failed in their relationship with God. And they come to God not with this big list of bold demands, but humble in spirit, in need of a second chance. God cleansed Jonah and gave him a second chance. Look at chapter 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Then the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, and dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. And he didn't carry out the destruction that he had threatened. There are a couple of things that I want us to take from this chapter. The first is that God is the God of second chances, but those second chances are for everyone. See, Nineveh was the mighty capital of the Assyrian Empire an empire which had crushed Judah and struck terror in the hearts of all nations. Assyria was a very ruthless enemy, and they practiced brutality on men, women, and children. Their armies destroyed and looted. They buried their enemies alive. They even skinned them alive. They impelled them on sharp poles and left them in the sun just to burn. Needless to say, they were not well-liked by any of their neighbors, and I doubt that anyone would have shed too many tears to see their destruction. But God thought differently. See, he believed that they deserved a second chance when no one else thought they did. 
See, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think you are, there is always a path back to God. Our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God who is loving and willing to forgive. See, I think that's one of Satan's biggest lies, to convince us that our sin is greater than God's love. Don't believe that lie. Don't buy into it that you're unacceptable to God, that the things in your past keep you from God's love, that the mistakes that you've made disqualify you from God's grace. It just isn't true. We've all failed. We've all made mistakes. We've all fallen short of God's glory. That's why we desperately need Jesus Christ. Because Christ is our second chance. And let me make something clear. When I'm talking about second chances, I'm not talking about the chance to get it right. Because we will never get it right. Getting it right means perfection. No sin, ever. And we can't do that. That's God's standard. God's standard is perfection. And we can never meet that standard on our own. Only one man was able to do that, and that was Jesus. And it's only through his sacrifice on the cross that we're offered that second chance. Not a second chance of getting it right, but a second chance of relying upon his grace. See, when Jesus was on the cross, one of the last things he said before he died was, it is finished. And the Greek word for that phrase, it is finished, is tetelestai. And it means it is finished. But there's also another meaning to that word. In Jesus' time, if you had a bill that you paid, or when you went to pay your taxes, they would write tetelestai over your bill as a receipt that your debt was paid in full. So Jesus isn't just saying my ministry is finished or completed because it was. What he's saying is I have paid your debt in full, tetelestai. That's grace. Our debt paid in full. And because of that grace, I promise you, there is nothing, there is nothing that you could have done that will drive God away from you. He is always pleading, always willing to take us back if we are willing to follow that path of brokenness. The second thing I want us to see from chapter 3 is that even though God is the God of many chances, it's important to know that God's offer is a limited time offer. See, Nineveh had 40 days and then it was over. And God is extremely patient with us. More patient than I ever would be. But even God's patience will run out. And if we fail to hear the word of God and we continue in our sinful ways, the consequences of our actions will eventually catch up to us. Because God is loving and gracious and he is willing that all would come to him. But there will come a day, a time, when we all stand in judgment before God and he will judge us accordingly. And if we have not accepted that offer of grace, then there are no more second chances. And we'll have to suffer those consequences. Now next week, Brian Legg's going to be talking about God as our judge. So you're going to want to come back and hear what he has to say about that. But God is a God of second chances now, for right now. Let's look at what Jonah says in chapter 4. Let's go back to that. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? 
This is why I ran away. I knew you were going to be a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get anger, angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to, eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Then the Lord replied, Is this right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and as soon as it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun, and this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm, because the next morning at dawn the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah, and the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah said, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? See, it's so easy for us to receive a second chance, but not give a second chance to others, especially those that have wronged us. And I can sympathize with Jonah, I really can. I mean, the Assyrians are his, his people's enemy. I mean, they, they've committed horrible acts and have been the source of immense pain and suffering. And it's kind of hard to see how, you know, to, to tell Jonah just to let all of that go. But God, being the patient, loving Father that he is, is again gently trying to teach Jonah about love and forgiveness. See, God asked Jonah to compare the vine with the city of Nineveh. That means a single unfilling plant against 120,000 people. See, Jonah had done nothing for the vine, while God was behind both the vine and the city. The vine shot up overnight, but the origins of Nineveh go back all the way to the book of Genesis. And the death of a plant may be one thing, but the death of people is quite another. And here's the point, though. Both God and Jonah show pity. But Jonah's emotions are all directed at the life of the plant. And God's passion is directed at the life of Nineveh. God does not tell Jonah that he's wrong to feel pity for the plant. Instead, he asks him a simple question. He says, Jonah, if you feel pity for the plant, why should I not allow to feel pity for Nineveh? See, God is a God of second chances, a God of forgiveness. And because he has extended forgiveness to us, he expects us to be a people of forgiveness, a people of second chances. And I know that's sometimes hard to do. Believe me, I know. Especially when we've been so deeply wounded. But I want you to know that God understands where you are. He understands the pain that you're going through. Because nobody can understand those wounds better than Him. Because all of us have wounded God. All of us have betrayed Him, rejected Him, spit on Him, been the source of immense pain and grief to Him at one time or another in our lives. But God is always faithful to forgive and to open us back, I mean to welcome us back with open arms. As the band makes their way back up, we're going to close. And this is what I want you to do. In your bulletin, 
There's a, 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 a three by five card, a blank three by five card. I want you to get that out for me. What do you need a second chance for? Maybe it's a damaged relationship that needs repair. Maybe that damaged relationship is between you and God because of the sin that's in your life. Please hear me when I say this. It is never too late to come back to God. You have not gone too far away. He is willing to take you back today. What do you need to ask forgiveness for? Whatever that is, I want you to write that on that card. It's just between you and God. Write that on that card. And then when the band plays in a few minutes, I want you to bring that card up front, as others did in the first service. And I want you to take these Sharpies that are on the stage. And I want you to write to Telestai over that card. Paid in full. Paid in full. Leave your burden here with God. Nobody's going to look at your cards. You can paste them, put them face down if you want. You can just write unspoken on it if that makes you feel more comfortable. It's just a symbol of your brokenness before God. For you to say, God, I'm willing for you to have it. Please forgive me. Take it. Maybe for others of you, you don't need forgiveness. But maybe there's somebody in your life you need to forgive. I want you to write that name on that card as well. And I want you to bring it up here and leave it with God. And I know that sometimes it's hard to do. We want to forgive, but we just can't seem to let go. And all I can say to you is is you can't do it alone. You just can't. Only God can help you with that. But if you're willing to try and start down that path, I promise you God will be faithful. So when the band plays, please respond as God leads you.